0: Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the Scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kim. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would love for you to turn them on, turn them to the Book of Jonah. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to say a word of welcome. If you are a guest uh, with us, and if you are a member here. Uh, continue to just uh, echo what we mentioned a little bit ago. Do us a favor, fill out that uh, the bulletin, the tear-off, leave it in your suit seat, and we will get that uh, as you leave this morning. But uh, we're going to start a new series in the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah falls right in between Obadiah and Micah. So if you hit Isaiah, you haven't gone far enough. Keep going through some of the minor prophets. If you hit Malachi, you've gone too far. Back up, and uh, you will find Jonah. Or you can use the table of contents. Um, that's totally fine and acceptable as well. Uh, but the book of Jonah is a neat little book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you uh, to do so. In fact, I would even challenge you uh, to begin reading through the book of Jonah as we continue. Maybe your way of preparing uh, for these next couple of weeks. But Jonah is a prophet, and, but the book of Jonah doesn't focus so much on Jonah's prophecies but upon Jonah himself. Uh, the book is really a story about Jonah and a story about a rebellious prophet who really hates God uh, because God seems to love his enemies. And uh, it's an interesting book, a unique book. Uh, Jonah is one of the most unique among all the Old Testament prophets because, again, it's not about the words that were spoken by Jonah, but about the prophet himself. It's a story about a prophet, about a mean prophet, about a nasty prophet. But Jonah also appears in the Old Testament one other place. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14. It's during the reign of uh, Jeroboam the who was one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesies that... Jeroboam II will win a battle and he will regain this territory on the northern border. But it's also important to note that at the same time that Jonah makes this prophecy about Jeroboam II, Amos also prophesies Jeroboam II and confronts him and says he reverses the, action, the prophecy that Jonah had given to Jeroboam II. So promising that all of these things, he would lose those territories because he was such an awful and horrible king. And I mention that because even as we open up the book of Jonah, if we know our Old Testament, we're already suspect of this prophet, so to speak. We're already suspect of his character. The book of Jonah is designed with all these liter- literary appearance and symmetry. You have chapters 1 and 3 showing Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites peoples, first these sailors and then also the Ninevites as well. And the people that you would expect to be selfish aren't, and the people you expect to be gracious and God-fearing aren't either. So there's this kind of this irony that plays out as well. Chapters 2 and 4 are these prayers, so to speak. Chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer of repentance in some way. We'll kind of look at that uh, next week. And then chapter 4, where Jonah even has some audacity to speak up to God and tell him a little bit of his mind. And so it's an interesting book. And so you see this back and forth, this unique design, this style of narration, all these stereotyped characters that do the exact opposite of what you would expect them to do. You have the prophet or the man of God who you would expect to follow and obey God. Instead, he rebels and hates God. You have these sailors who are supposed to be really immoral people. They actually have soft and repentant hearts and they turn to God in humility. You have the leader of the most murderous and powerful empire on the planet who humbles himself before the Lord because of Jonah's five-word sermon. Even his cows repent. And there's all of these extreme circumstances filled with humor and irony, and it's critiquing the stupidity and the character flaws of Jonah. And further, this book is often misunderstood. We come to this text so often with a lot of assumptions. And if you know your Bibles, if you think about Jonah, you think about Jonah and the the big fish, right? Or the whale. But it's interesting, if you were to read the book of Jonah, do you know how much attention is given to the big fish or to the whale? Three verses, three verses and all the, the book of Jonah is mentioned, the big fish or the whale. So what is the book of Jonah about as we come to study this text? Is it about a fish? Is it about prophecy? Is it about the prophet Jonah? Yes, it's certainly about the prophet Jonah, but ultimately it is about the God of Jonah. It is about the redemptive plan of God for all peoples. And my challenge for us as we go through this series is to not only see Jonah, to not only see God's love for Jonah and Israel, and yes, to even Ninevites, yes, to even pagan people who do not trust and obey God. But more than that, I hope we do not get through this series and not encounter the God of Jonah. Not encounter the God of the Bible. He is the burden of the text. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way. It should come up on the screen. He says, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. It is the greatness of Israel's God that is the burden of the book. And so while yes, we will talk about the big fish, I don't want us to miss God's purposes in this story. Because what you'll see as we go through the book of Jonah is that there are certain principles that kind of come out of this text. And we'll highlight some of those as we continue to go through. We'll bring about these principles. But the book of Jonah, its literary features are designed in such a way that as you read it, and certainly when you come to that perplexing ending, that you would begin to look upon yourself. That instead of asking questions about how the book ends, you would ask questions of yourself. And it's as though the biblical author is saying to you, will you be like Jonah as well? Will you do as Jonah has done? Israel, will you be like Jonah too? Will you be like Jonah as we dive in to this series? Because that is what happens when we read the biblical text. So often, we want to come to a biblical text and say, I'm going to impose all of my thoughts, all of my things onto the biblical text. I'm going to confront the biblical text with my life but beloved we don't confront the Bible the Bible confronts us and when we read the scripture it will pull out and it's like a mirror that we look into and that's what I pray that we will do this morning as we continue in the book of Jonah but all through uh, the exhorting of God's word together so Jonah chapter 1 looking at verses 1 through 3 would you stand and honor the reading of God's word this morning now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me." But Jonah arose and fled to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. God, that we would see Christ exalted, even in this text. God, that we would see that he is our true prophet. He is our true priest. And he is our true king. I pray that Jesus would go before us and make a way as only he can, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that by your spirit, you would help us to hear your word and to receive your word and to obey your word in all of our lives. And we'll thank you for it in advance. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to call our attention this morning to just two points. I'll have some subpoints in point number two, but really just two main points this morning. Number one is calculated disobedience. I want you to see Jonah's calculated disobedience. But secondly, I want you to see Jonah's vain pursuit. Number one, his calculated disobedience. The first thing that we notice in the book of Jonah is Jonah's disobedient to the Lord's call. Look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. It's contrasted in the text directly by verse 3. You would expect that a prophet, any good prophet, would do what the Lord says. But Jonah, it says in verse 3, rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And at the heart of this text, what is taking place is Jonah is being disobedient to the Lord. Now, if you were to read commentaries and you were to read commentators' takes on this, they might come up with a lot of perplexing ideas. Some say it's because of fear. Others say it's out of comfort. And we'll discuss some of that as we go through the series. But I want you to note very pointedly and very clearly Jonah's disobedience. There should be a picture that will come up on the screen. It's a picture of what Jonah didn't do. Jonah was supposed to go east to Nineveh. Instead, he went west to Tarshish. He was supposed to go 550 miles to the east. Instead, he went 2,500 miles to the west. God says go right, and Jonah went left. He did exactly what God commanded him not to do. And that picture, that is a picture of Jonah's disobedience. And so often it's a picture of ours as well. It's a picture when God says to do one thing and we do another. The 550 miles to the east and the 2,500 to the west, that is a picture of disobedience. Think biblically with me. Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat of this one particular fruit. And what did they do? They ate of the particular fruit that God said not to. You look at the life of Samson and the Nazarite vow. The vow of a Nazarite was threefold. Don't touch anything dead. Don't partake in any strong drink. And don't cut your hair. And what do you see? You see Samson in the middle touching a dead carcass of a lion. You see him go into these festivals and feasts, probably partaking in drinking alcohol. You go, don't cut your hair. You're thinking, don't cut your hair, Samson. What are you doing? Slaying his enemies with the jawbone of a donkey. That was good, right? He was breaking his Nazarite vow. He was doing what the Lord had commanded him not to. And when you read it, you're thinking, Samson, what are you doing? You're disobeying God. And we can see it so clear in the biblical text. You see it in the life of Saul as well. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. You remember this story when God says to Saul, I want you to go and I want you to destroy wholeheartedly, devote the Amalekites to destruction. Everything in the city and everything of the Amalekites devote it to destruction. And Samuel comes to Saul and confronts him. In 1 Samuel 15, beginning of verse 19, says, Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pronounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord has sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have destroyed the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen that of fat of rams. God says to Saul, he says, I want you to destroy everything. I want you to obey what I have commanded you to do. And Saul and his men go into the city and they see, they see good things, right? Right? They see things that are worthwhile. They see things that they think, oh, I can bring that and give an acceptable offering to the Lord. And in doing so, disobeyed what God had called them to do. See, we may try to bring some good things to God and say, look at my sacrifices that I'm bringing to you. But in doing so, be disobeying what the Lord has actually commanded us to do. Maybe Saul thought, this will be pleasing to God because I'm bringing good gifts to him. But it wasn't what the Lord was requiring of him. The Lord wanted his obedience. And the Lord desires ours as well. Because we do the same, do we not? We desire some things and we say, I'm going to get it. And we convince ourselves that this is right. We convince ourselves that this is good. We convince ourselves that this is what the Lord would want of us. These are good things. Becoming all too comfortable in being disobedient. Becoming all too comfortable in bringing our sacrifices to God. We play this game like Saul does. And instead of obeying God, we play catch up with him. Instead of just obeying and submitting to his authority and what he says and is commanded in his word, we say, well, let me get some good things and sacrifice to him because then he'll accept me, right? He'll forgive me, right? The Lord will forgive me if I just do the right thing from here on out instead of just obeying and listening and submitting to him. Here's a principle I think you might want to write down. It's not going to come off the screen, but the Lord doesn't desire your sacrifice. The Lord desires your obedience. The Lord doesn't desire your sacrifice. He desires your obedience, To listen is better than that of the fat of rams. God isn't interested in what you can bring to the table, beloved. And you think about the New Testament. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our obedience. We're not climbing our way and trying to make amends to God. No, Christ has done it himself. And the life of following Christ is that of fellowship and following Jesus. God doesn't desire sacrifice. Christ has accomplished it. He's accomplished your obedience. He's accomplished everything that you couldn't and has placed it on his son. But he does invite us to follow him. He invites us to submit our lives and surrender to him and follow him wholeheartedly. So what is it for you this morning? What is your Tarshish? What is the thing that brings about your disobedience before God? What calling may be hard on your life that you'll be tempted to ignore. To say, well, I can bring some good things to the table, but don't let me have to do this. And play this game over and over and over again. It says, well, I can make it up. And well, you'll surely forgive me. It's not that big of a deal. Suppressing your sin, making yourself comfortable instead of obeying the Lord. You see, Jonah's calculated disobedience. But secondly, you see Jonah's vain pursuit. Jonah's disobedience led to a pursuit of vanity. It led to a pursuit that was worthless in the end. Jonah soon found himself, after making this decision, hiding and continuing in his disobedience. Notice in verse 3, But Jonah rose and to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went into it, to go to them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And what you can see, even within these verses here, is that Jonah's pursuit of disobedience was vanity in at least three ways. The place in which where Jonah was going, the place he was heading the price that he paid, and the means of how he would go there. Now, break these down to you. Number one, the place in which Jonah went. We already noted this, that he was going to Tarshish, where Jonah was heading, was disobedient to where the Lord was calling him to go. But you go a little bit further, he wasn't just going to a place. He was fleeing, noted two times in the text, away from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah, was not he wasn't a fool. Jonah wasn't someone that didn't know his scripture. Jonah knows that he can't do this. He's an Hebrew. He knows that God is always present. He knows that God knows everything. He's all-knowing. But maybe you can relate to this notion of out of sight, out of mind. If I can just get the thought, or if I can just forget about God, if I can just think about something else, if I can just get God off my mind, then maybe I will be content with my disobedience and maybe make it a little more tolerable. It's like us that we hate to consider that God knows everything when we're running counter to Him. And we like to think, well, I know God will just give me a pass, and I know He'll just turn away and look away for a moment. Well, He'll forgive me. And Jonah had this thought that by going in the opposite direction from God's call, that he could somehow flee from Him. But it was a vain pursuit. It was absolutely foolish. Jonah knew the Psalms. He knew Psalm 30 as we read before. He knows Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your parent presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The same is true in our lives too, beloved. And we can run and we can hide our action and hide our sin, our potential sin. And we may think we're fooling everybody else. But God's no fool. And God knows that your pursuit is a worthless pursuit. And so often we get so caught up. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing. He was worried about building Jonah's kingdom. And he wasn't concerned about building the kingdom of God. And what I've found to be true in my life, beloved, is it is real hard to build God's kingdom when we're too busy building our own. When we are busy building our own kingdom, we'll never think about seeking to build God's kingdom. But it would have been better for Jonah to obey the Lord and to pursue Nineveh than Tarshish. And it would be a better pursuit for your life as well. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added to you. Not my kingdom. Not your kingdom. Not Jonah's kingdom. But to build the kingdom of God. You see the place in which Jonah went, but you also see the price that Jonah paid. It's very interesting to me that within this text, a price is mentioned here. It would have been easy for the text to have read, well, Jonah went to Joppa, he found a ship, he got on it, went to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the text doesn't just say that, it goes on. It's intentional about mentioning that he paid a fee or he paid a fare to be on the ship. And there's a couple of things I think worth noting. Number one, most scholars say that this would probably a pretty good chunk of change that Jonah would sail with these Sailors across the Mediterranean Sea. Secondly, Jonah didn't go alone. He hired a crew, he hired people to go with him. And for that reason, most scholars say this wasn't just a low fare, this was a high price that Jonah paid. He paid a high price to be disobedient to what the Lord was calling him to do. It led, his sin led to a price that must be paid. And it was a higher price than Jonah was willing to pay. The same is true in your life, beloved. I had an Old Testament professor, and he was my Hebrew professor. His name was Timon Knight. And he said this, and it rings true, and I remember it, I will never forget it, but he said this. He said, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you're willing to pay, and it will demand more of you than you ever wanted to give. It will take you farther than you wanted to, it will cost you more than you were willing to pay and it will demand of you more than you ever wanted to give. And beloved, your disobedience will cost you. And sometimes it will cost you more than what you have. But that's how we like to live. We wanna do things in our own way. Jonah was foolish to think, well, this is just between me and God. This will just between me and these sailors. This is just, nobody else is gonna know about this. Your sin will require more of you. It will cost you more than you wanted to give. Your sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Your sin will require a price. And his disobedience required that as well. I can tell you in my life that I've learned that it's better simply to tell the truth. It's better not to be a gossip. It's better not to cut corners. It's better to be a person of integrity rather than to just act like it. And you think about just the seriousness of sin, the true tangible cost of sin, even in our world, from addictions to drugs to pornography, one of the richest industries in the world, addictions of any kind, those things come with a price and it will always ask more of you. And I hear people all the time that aren't believers in Christ or they're struggling with their walk in Christ. And they'll, they'll, you know, people say, well, sin is fun. God doesn't want me to have any fun. No, God is trying to help you see that there is better joy in Him than in the world. He's trying to help you to see that the price that, that sin says it will make you pay, it will always require more of you. And this is why 1 John says, By this we know that we are the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments aren't a burden. Write this down. God has given you his commands not to be a burden for you, but to help you. It's not a burden to follow the Lord. It's a help. It's joy to follow him. What are you pursuing right now? And what is it requiring of you? What is it costing you? And no, beloved, if you aren't paying a cost right now, there will be one soon. Because sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go. It will always demand more of you than you wanted to give. And it'll always cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And yes, through Christ, yes. Through Christ, we have redemption. But again, the mark of a believer is following him in obedience. You see the place, you see the price, but you also see the means through which Jonah pursued his desire. Another interesting reality, Jonah hopped on a boat and he headed from Joppa. Jonah had this posture about himself that he said, If I just had a boat and some friends, everything would be all good. Give me the boat, give me some friends, and we're fine. And so he hops on this boat with what seems to be, if nothing else, some unskilled sailors. They didn't really exactly know what they were doing. How do you know that? Well, they jettison a ship, and they start freaking out, and they want to toss Jonah overboard. Good sailors don't freak out in the middle of a storm. They're cool, calm, and collected. These sailors were not. And so Jonah boards the ship, he entrusted himself to these would-be sailors. And it didn't end so well with Jonah, pun intended. Jonah entrusted himself with these sailors of sorts, these inexperienced sailors. He said, if I just had the boat, if I just had some friends, then all would be good with my life. And beloved, we want joy and we're willing to find it by our own means instead of the means that the Lord has supplied for us. Instead of being content in godliness and content in Christ, we want to seek joy in other things, in worldly things. So we climb and scratch and say, I just want a better job. And you think, man, that job you landed is so awesome until six months in. It's just as confusing and just as stressful as the last one you had. And you think, oh man, wouldn't it be great if I could just get another spouse. And so you get another spouse and then they see your sin very soon. And you think, man, they're they're, they're confronting me just like my old spouse was. You get the new iPhone 12 or whatever. I promise you, Apple's coming out with a new one next year. You get the new boat. You get the new car. Whatever it is. And we pursue joy and satisfaction in worldly things. But they will not satisfy us. Ultimately, Christ will satisfy us we want joy we want peace and in our minds we think if I just had the boat if I just had some friends all will be well we look for satisfaction in our success we look for contentment in getting away we look for peace in our own way instead of finding peace in Christ instead of finding our joy in Christ and we pursue them in our own flesh beloved we are pursuing them in a foolish manner We may want the boat and the friends, but I promise you the boat and the friends will not satisfy you. Not like Christ will. And here's a principle you might want to write down. Our pursuit of the things we desire become foolish when we pursue them through any other means than Christ. Our pursuit of the things that we all desire become foolish when we pursue them through any other means than Christ. What are you searching for today? for love, acceptance, satisfaction, contentment, joy, peace, assurance, friendship, fellowship. I assure you, Christ holds them all. And it is the better joy. What are you currently pursuing? What are you pursuing right now? And what is your means of getting there? And to ask yourself this question instead, how can I align my heart And life with Christ. But here's why it mattered. Coming to a close. Here's why it mattered for Jonah. It mattered for Jonah because the Lord chose him. The Lord could have chosen someone else. He even even gave Jonah, extended to him grace and a second chance. The Lord wanted to use Jonah. The Lord had a plan for Jonah's life. And it was a better plan than his vain pursuit and disobedience. Beloved, the same is true in your life as well. That we as the church, we are chosen people, that God has extended to us grace and mercy, that God has lavished his grace upon us, his desire is that we pursue him. And in this way, the book of Jonah is like a full mirror looking back at us and say, you who've extended, you who've received God's grace, You who God has a plan for in your life, you who God has invited you into His mission in the world, look into the mirror of Jonah. Will you be like Him? Will you you be someone that gets disgruntled when your enemy receives God's grace? When those that are far from God turn and trust God, will you be bitter and angry? Will you be resentful? Will you want to build your own kingdom instead of building the kingdom of God? And you'll say, no, never me, never me, never me. I know that I have a pretty good inner lawyer. And you got a pretty good one too. And every time that you hear something like that, I'm sure your inner lawyer, your inner attorney in your heart says, that's not me, not me. And you plead your case before God and say, I'm off the hook. But I promise you, this righteous judge, you will not fool you have an inner lawyer that will try to justify your sin left and right and left and right and left and right. And before we say, no, not me, never me, maybe look at the life of Jonah. And instead of trying to justify our actions, we examine and align our lives and our hearts to the Lord. Jonah 1 begins in this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. God was sending Jonah. He was sending his prophet to a hardened people, to a pagan people, to a sinful people, to his enemies. And Jonah didn't want to go. So the question is, will we be like Jonah when we look into the mirror of our life? When we look into the mirror of the life of our church? Will we be like Jonah? Will we be resistant or will we say, no, I want to go? Will we stay in our comfort or will we follow the Lord? When the Lord shows mercy to even our enemies, will you become angry or bitter or disobey? Would we be filled with the knowledge of God just like Jonah was? Filled with the knowledge of God, filled with stuff, filled with who God is, but far from the heart of God. May it never be so of us. May we take God at his word. May we have not only the thoughts of God, but also the heart of God for the nations. And may we align our hearts and lives and may we be transformed by the power of the gospel because the gospel transforms us. The good news of Jesus is what transforms us. You know who was the better prophet? It's Jesus Christ. He is the better prophet. He fully obeyed the Lord. When you disobey, you know the way of obedience is not through more of your actions or legalism. It's through the obedience of his son. Jesus is the true obedient son. He's the prophet, priest, and king. Your satisfaction that you're looking for, you'll never find it in this world. You will never find it through the world's goods. Instead, God says, satisfaction is found only in world. Christ. What are you seeking this morning? Are you seeking obedience? Are you seeking reconciliation? Are you seeking a better pursuit for your life? May I lift up and declare to you the name of Jesus is who you need this morning and more of Christ in your life. Let's pray and respond together. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. And if you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m., If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand. And please know that we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons podcast.